This is a podcast about failure. With me, Lola Berry, author, nutritionist, and yoga teacher. Join me as we get to know these guests and learn about how their failures have ultimately shaped their dreams. Welcome to Fearlessly Failing with Lola Berry. Lola Berry here. Matt told me to mix up my intro so you got a hey and not a hello or a g'day today. This next guest, you know, when you uh, meet someone and they're so smart, like they're effing smart, uh, this guy's so smart that I was like, oh my goodness, I don't know if I'm smart enough to hold a combo with you. That's how much he blew me away. It is Tim Silverwood. He is the creator of an amazing organisation called Take Three for the Sea. So the premise is anytime we go to the beach, you take three bits of rubbish away from the beach with you. And he's all about a big global movement and his overarching message is that of hope. So he is pretty awesome. I mean, like I said, he's uber, uber smart. He knows his stuff and he's here to make a difference. I really hope you're inspired by this chat with Tim Silverwood. Hello. Hi. I am joined today by the incredible, you are incredible, his eyes, Tim's eyes have just gone like, um, Where's she going with this? Tim Silverwood. Okay, so I've made a list of what I think you are. Okay. Do you want to? I'll give you a, a tick or a cross. Okay, so you're a surfer. <laughs> tick. You're an environmentalist. Tick, tick. You are a plastic pollution campaigner. Yes, that's what I've been known for, Yes. This is how I, you're described, and I'm pretty sure it's the movie called The, Bl- is it the Blue. It's called Blue. Blue. Yep. I went to the premiere in Sydney with oh. Guy and I have a photo with you. At the State Theatre? Yes. Lovely event. You don't remember it though, do you? You don't remember seeing me. I think I was on a, operating <laughs> on a big high that night, so a lot of people. It was packed. It was packed. It was beautiful. And I figure you're here to make a difference. You got that correct. Okay. Awesome. Well the reason why I'm nervous to have you on today, I was just saying before we press record, I'm, I'm like, I'm quite nervous to have you on. Usually I have hung out with the guests a little bit, so there's this kind of real relaxed and chill. But because I've always kind of like admired what you have done, I feel like I'm more of a fan, but I've always watched what you were doing, so I've been very aware of it for years. And we ran into each other in Elwood a few years ago in a little cafe in Elwood. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, a couple of years ago. Yeah, so we've kind of just, I've always been really aware and watched you, but I've never sat down and had like a ginormous combo. Yeah, well, I don't know. I should be similarly nervous then because I think when I was, um, you know, really launching, you know, I guess to building Take Three and and building a bit of identity around myself, you know, you were a real leader in that space as well. And I think you've harnessed, um, you know, tools, communication tools so, so effectively. So maybe Uh we should be just mirroring that little bit of nervousness. Okay. You're making me feel better. You're making me feel comfy. So you have just mentioned Take Three for the Sea. You set that up about 10 years ago now, is that right? Yeah, it's 10 years since the three founders first met and it took us a good six months of figuring out what the thing was going to become. So mm-hmm. next year we'll celebrate our 10-year birthday. <sighs> so for people listening, I'm sure people are already playing at home and understand the whole concept behind Take Three. I know I posted about it a few months ago and you've had some epic campaigns and I've seen cool photos of like drones taking photos of humans dotted on the beach in take three. And so just for people listening, it's such a simple campaign. Can you explain it? 
Yep. So we ask people to take three pieces of rubbish with them when they leave a special place. So, of course, when you go to the beach or when you go to a lake, you could take um, your three pieces away. But it also encourages people everywhere when you see plastic on the ground to think about picking it up because if you don't, it's going to wash and blow down our stormwater systems, creeks and rivers and end up in the ocean. So we're about stopping plastic pollution in the ocean and we try and do that by getting people like you and everyone to just do small actions. So... Yeah, that's a little bit of take three in yeah, a nutshell. That was perf- perfect. Is it true? I, I've I've been cheeky and watched your your TED talk. By the way, were you so nervous doing that? I think you I seemed calm. Yeah, well, I remember that it was a really informal um, exercise. So I just finished going out and sailing across the ocean to look at the garbage patch of plastic in the sea, and I just came back to this media storm. And there was a sequence of events, one of which was this TED talk, which had been lined up a while ago. Um, But I just didn't really understand the magnitude of the occasion. So I just sort of waltzed in. I hadn't even tested my slides or anything. So maybe that's why I looked so casual. I was fresh off a boat from the middle of the Pacific. You you seemed so calm. And speaking of that, so you sailed 5,000 kilometres across the North Pacific Ocean, right? Yeah. And you went to this, and this is what blew me away in that movie, you went to that is it the garbage beach, like in Hawaii? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So there's a beach on the big island of Hawaii yeah. called Camillo Beach yeah. and it's been touted touted as the sort of the most polluted beach in the world. It's probably not anymore, but back in the day it was because it's not pollution that has come from Hawaiians. It's yeah. washed in from all around the world. So you go walk along this beach and you pick up items from Japan and from oh. North America and from all around the planet that happen to find their way to the middle of the ocean because of these circulating currents that form the infamous Great Pacific Garbage Patch. How did you feel when you saw it for the first time, like in the flesh? Yeah, what I found really shocking, I mean, as a surfer, I've always loved beach combing, right? You go along the beach and you find these little gems that the ocean has coughed up. But what really struck me about this beach was the microplastic. So there was Mm. bits between all the volcanic rock where there was literally this plastic confetti. And that was what I really realised that, um, you know, it's not about the big stuff because the big stuff breaks up into the small stuff. Mm. What we're really looking at here is a pandemic of plastic Uh, fibres and filaments and pieces that are spread everywhere across the ocean. So impossible to clean up, I suppose, was the thing that was really resonating with me Mm. because when you first think about this idea of an island of trash in the sea, which is still how it's often spoken about, you think, oh, we could just go and clean that up. You cannot clean up what is ultimately like smog. It's like Mm. the smoke that shrouds cities. You can't clean it up. The only way to stop the problem is to stop putting it up there in the first place. And it it reminds me of something else you mentioned and it's like this plastic sand where the plastic is so small that it looks like you you held a jar up. Yeah, that's right. And and it just, so we're talking like tiny weeny bits that marine animals are going to be eating and. Yeah, we're going to be eating. No good. It's even getting worse now. I mean, that's. Not ten, uh, eight years since that pod, uh, that TED talk. So now we're learning all about the amount of microplastic that ends up in our bodies from the fluids that we drink, the oh, air that we wow. breathe. So we're now getting a much more advanced conversation happening around how pervasive plastic is. Where plastic is everywhere. I saw, I've seen you talk about plastic and just like simple things that we can do. Like I do want to get onto your failures, by the way, but I just think you do have such an important message. And I know it probably feels like because you've been doing it for 10 years, but I mean, for people listening, like, we actually can make a huge difference as one human being, you know, whether it be take the three pieces of rubbish. But I've heard you say, like, ban plastic bags, 
put a 10% cost on cups when you go buy a coffee, right? Are these all things since even that TED Talk to now or have you seen a mass, like you can feel the change when you go into Coles and Woolies. If you're going to buy a plastic, if you're going to use a plastic bag, you have to buy one for starters. Have you seen a change like in a positive way? Yeah, definitely. The last couple of years we've seen the changes that we were calling for, you know, eight years ago. So it's taken far too long in my opinion but I've learnt a lot about the process along the way. And so for me, the realisation that you need to get mass awareness and mass participation before the politicians will change and before the companies will change. Mm. So it's only because we've succeeded in campaigns like Take Three, in films like Blue, in TV programs like War on Waste, finally enough of a percentage mm. of the population goes, oh, yeah, that's a problem that I care about, mm. that you can then actually push those levers to get politicians to change. And so, you know, plastic bags, for example, every state and territory in Australia, besides New South Wales, <laughs> has agreed to ban plastic bags. The 10-cent refund on bottles and cans, every state, bar Victoria, has mm. agreed to do it. So we're getting there now. But it's just a bit of a shame that it takes so long to create that initiative because we don't have time. We don't have time. It's amazing how you say as well how it does take a while to create a shift until something almost like has a big social impact. Like it, it's taking me back to even hearing about the doco. There's a documentary called Blackfish. I don't know if you've heard about it or seen it. It's this documentary made about orca whales living in captivity and it took that documentary for SeaWorld to ban the kind of like... Um, like what is it called when they breed in, breeding in captivity? So that's now illegal. You, that's totally illegal. You can't do that. But it wasn't. It was being ignored until a big doco that got enough of a social movement of people going. This isn't you know the hashtag empty the tanks was like a big campaign. And it, just what you're saying, although different messages, same ball game. Like it's almost like it takes like a moving piece of art, whether it be a documentary or something, for people to be like, hang on a minute, we can't keep doing this. And that's where I think that doco that you were part of, and I've heard War on Waste is incredible, these things are actually great. And it brings me back to I'm probably romanticising artists too much right now, but I'm studying acting. So it brings me back to this message of when we create enough of a movement, whether it be through docos, whether it be through podcasts, whether it be through all these little things that we can do, that's what all it really takes. And then it's the human power of that. And then I'm totally romanticising what you do, by the way, and the power of documentaries. I think docos are fantastic for spreading social awareness. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you. You need to... You need to shine a light in the corners and bring some of these issues that have been fringe for too long into yeah. the mainstream. And then occasionally you need that lightning rod, that thing that yeah. people just band behind. I mean, one of them, I guess, for the plastics issue is the plastic straws and that yeah. sea turtle. It was a viral video of a sea turtle with a plastic straw lodged in its nostril. And I wasn't even thinking that we were going to get much traction on plastic straws. I thought there was other priority items. Mm. But then that single video clip suddenly meant, oh, we can work on straws now. And now straws are, uh, in many, many countries, you, you struggle to find a plastic straw now. It happened overnight almost. It, that t So I owned a smoothie bar last year and that I can tell you how fast that switched. That literally w within, I reckon, four days, maybe seven, we'd totally switched. Amazing. Completely. And I remember we were recipe testing something and we'd run out of plastic straws and we were across the road from a like a chef's supply, res supply shop and we bought one packet of st plastic straws to get us through for recipe testing and I got slammed. 
Like I got pulled apart on social media, which I love. And to this day, if I have ever had like a coffee, a takeaway coffee cup, even if I'm in another state or working, it, I know my audience does not tolerate it. How cool is that? Yeah, I guess it's cool as long as you don't get too, uh, you know, it's too aggressive because you do have to. It's a, a good little <laughs> meme I've seen around lately that, you know, zero waste, I suppose, is a natural extension from people who care about plastic pollution totally. and waste. And the meme is something like, you know, we don't need um, 100% of, of people doing zero waste perfectly. Um, you know, we need no, – sorry, I'm getting it mixed up now. We don't – yeah, How it's basically excited. saying that we – we only need 10%, 90% of people doing it imperfectly is better than 10% of people doing it perfectly. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it can become like an obsession. Yeah. Do you know who's been a great spokesperson uh, for it? And I'm hoping to get her on the podcast, Elise Knowles. Mm-hmm. She always is picking up rubbish on the beach. She's yeah. a massive model, humongous yeah, yeah, model. Elise, yeah. I'm pretty sure she's done stuff for you guys, like whether yeah. it's been just conscious or not, but she's always on the, because she lives in Byron Bay now. Yeah, and she's been just, a great advocate. Yeah, and 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 I think, so, like, it's really cool seeing, like, young models that really they're selling beauty and all that, but they're now selling a social message, which I love. Yeah, and imagine how that's then impacting those brands and businesses that want to be aligned with these people. If they stand for something, they have values around this, then it's going to send uh, shockwaves throughout their, um, you know, their businesses as well. Even as an influencer, like I get sent stuff a lot and now it's getting sent in environmentally friendly bags. Good to hear. Like I'd say the ratio would be 60% environmentally friendly. Like that's pretty – and quickly, like from nothing to that very within a three-month probably period. So imagine how that's going to be like this time next year. Awesome. Let's How cool is that? Let's strap into the roller coaster and see where it takes us. We need to do it quickly. Obviously, this is the, the essence of the conversation is that the more we understand about the scale of these problems, the, the shorter the time span is that we need to really make that shift. So... I'm definitely excited and enthused by how quickly it's changing at the moment, but I'm also aware that it needs to be even quicker. Fast. Fast. Yeah. I like that though. Mm. I I don't like that there's a sense of urgency, but I like that you've got this belief, you know it's got to happen, you know it's going to happen, and you're just on the path of that. Mm. It's like a determination. It's good. It's good. So uh, these are the positive things about that you've created and what you're very passionate about. I'm, I can only imagine behind the scenes that there would be some setbacks. Hmm. Have you had setbacks in like whether it be with Take Three or having a not-for-profit and have there been people that have been, have there been naysayers, have there been anybody that's kind of been like not interested or you'll nearly get a campaign, you'll nearly get a really big kind of deal and it kind of fall through or I guess because I'm trying to find, find the lesson or the failure bits that have made you even because you're obviously very resilient, very driven and quite successful in your in your pledge to, you know, change the world. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, I, I guess my, if I do think about that, it's probably that, you know, the ultimate goal of any charity is to make themselves obsolete, right? You, you form with a purpose and a mm. mission. Um, and whilst Take Three has achieved a lot, like the problem still exists there. So as someone who does to stand up and declare themselves as being, um, you know, a a change agent, someone who wants to get out there and Mm. make change, you have to, I guess, judge yourself on whether you've been able to to do that. And, And I guess I've done a lot, but there's always more I could do. So 
I'm constantly challenging myself on, well, what's the next thing that you can do? What's the way that you can actually go out there and make a bigger impact? Because, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, my motivation is protecting the planet from these breadth of human impacts that just cause so much harm and destruction. Mm. And I'm really fueled and motivated by the impact that we have on other wild creatures. I feel like there's something to be said about us Homo sapiens. We're, you know, we're one species, but there's like there's billions of mm. species on this planet and we all have the luxury of being able to, to live. Um, and so... I really wanted to sort of make sure that we we do as much as we possibly can to protect other other creatures and other species. So, random question on 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 that. Yeah, you being a surfer and you caring obviously about wildlife and creatures and being quite an environmentalist. What's your favourite animal? Um, sea turtles are a pretty amazing creature. Um, they have really long lifespans, don't they? Yeah, they do. Yeah, really long lifespans. In Hawaii, I swam in the wilds. With giant green sea turtles, and they call them honu. Hobart, yeah, honu. Yeah. Do you know what it means? I think it's a sea turtle. It means home. Because okay, they oh, carry their home they wherever their... they go. Oh, that's so cool. They feel very spiritual. I think there's got a lot of spiritual meaning. I love Hawaii. I yeah, could live in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, and I love the seabirds as well. The seabirds um, have really helped me sort of understand that connectivity to the planet because you look at a seabird and they rely upon the ocean. The ocean is their home um, and we are just these terrestrial landlubbers, homo sapiens, and we we dabble in the ocean a little bit, yet the planet has 70% of its surface is covered by ocean and there's more habitable space on our planet below the ocean than there is in the in the land where mm. we live. And so when you see those seabirds, they get to fly and they get to come to land, but everything that they need is in the ocean, all their food, all their water. It's um, it's everything for them. So, yeah, I love seabirds. I love sea turtles. I love everything ocean. I'm about to nerd out with a free surfer. So you would know David Rastovich for sure, I imagine. Yeah. And then there's Christelle Morrow. Yep. He says his spirit animal is like an albatross or a seabird. And he's like the way they can kind of like be a part of like land, ocean, ride the waves and... Yeah. Interesting story. Like the the synergy of, of Take 3 and what brought me in the sphere of the two other co-founders of Take 3 was I was camping out on the mid-north coast of New South Wales mm. at a little camp spot called Point Plumber. Um, and all this commotion happened when... It turns out Dave Rustovich, Chris Del Moro and a whole crew came in on these little um, kayaks sort of slash, uh, they're called Hobie Cats, there's like little sails on them, yeah. and they were doing this voyage from Byron Bay to Bondi to raise awareness about the dolphin yes. slaughter in, in Taiji in Japan. So they were showing the movie The Cove in com- yeah. communities all down the coast. And so yeah. I met Dave and Chris <sighs> and all this crew and that was the actual lightning rod for me to go, why aren't you doing something, oh. Tim? And so I've totally this. fangirled now because yeah. I think Dave Rastovich and Crystal Morrow are like the ultimate because they're they could be competitive surfers like in the 
mm. you know, the arena kind of world and yet they're like, no, we're free servers. We want to be connected to nature. There's a few docos about those two being just so connected with, connected with biophilia, which is the healing power of Mother Nature. And I'm mm. like, oh, these humans, these humans know what's going on. Yeah. No, I love those guys. They're both awesome. Did you get that feeling like that they were super connected to Mother Nature and Earth and very grounded? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Dave and Lauren, his wife, have now got their own um, podcast as well, which is really interesting to listen to. They're documenting people who've got a deep affinity with the ocean all around the world. It's called oh. a Water People Podcast. And so that's really she's interesting. She's the mermaid, isn't she? Wasn't no, she famous? She's, that was his ex. Oh, sorry. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Stuff that one up. <laughs> but she is basically, I mean, she could easily be a mermaid like um, Lauren. She's incredible. So. But, yeah, they've got a really interesting podcast and very, very deep spiritual conversations mm. that they have with their guests. So, Oh, Matt, I think you've given me my next podcast listening. Yeah, Thanks go to you. for it. So then looking at failure from a different perspective, and I'm guessing that's also one of the reasons how Take 3 emerged is obviously as a human race we're kind of effing up a bit and we're living quite an we sometimes we can be living quite an unconscious life like throwing rubbish away and over consuming and plastic and hence the whole war on waste movement and i guess because you haven't spoken too much about setbacks within take 3 i imagine the whole reason why take 3 even exists is that humanity was failing a little bit to look after these other creatures or at least create an environment that allowed for a little bit of homeostasis, like a little bit of balance. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good point to focus on. Um, uh, up until the Industrial Revolution, I'm sure you could argue that we did have this sort of homeostasis going on and like every species out there, there are limits to the number of species of a, that can actually form. So limits to growth um, is a sort of well-known theme and, and, um, and construct there. So whether that's a, a bee colony or ants or termites or monkeys or fish, like there will always be parameters put in place around those species before disease mm-hmm. or predation or something controls the size of that species. So ever since the Industrial Revolution, we've just been using sort of technology and innovation to, to break those parameters. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, you're absolutely right. In many ways, it's, it's very evident that uh, the human population has failed um, and we've failed in the context that we're now affecting all these other species that uh, are housed on this planet. So in many ways, like our one job as humans, like was to at least control the carbon cycle, you know, yeah. the carbon cycle of our planet. It does change over yeah. thousands of years and millions of years, but we've just disrupted it over the last few hundred and we continue to at an ever-increasing rate. So, yeah, we've failed. We've all failed. So what happens if what happens if people like you didn't exist and what happens if we just kept going down that path of kind of abusing the planet how would that look in like 10 years, 20 years' time? I've always loved – so I studied sustainability at university and a lot of it was around the, the history and the theories behind sustainable development. And one idea that really got me early on was James Lovelock's The Gaia Hypothesis to basically okay. say that our planet is essentially, you know, one giant living, breathing organism mm. – and that if you do push the boundaries too far, 
then external forces like will actually push it back the other way and really, really challenge um, that particular species that's causing the harm. So, you know, I feel like if we keep going the way we're going, we're going to make a climate and our own habitat very, very challenging with which for us to live. And, of course, we'll keep using technology to try and counter that and that's yeah. where you start getting very sci-fi and very sort of futuristic and wonder what the world's going to look like. Mm. But at this point in time, I think the more we can understand the the huge breadth of human impacts that we're causing and how it is, I mean, it might be comfortable for some of us right now, but it's not comfortable for a heck of a lot of people out there who are already living in the extremes of the climate crisis and mm. extinction crisis. So, yeah, I think it's um, it's going to be really, really challenging, which is a lot of people, I mean, it's, it's becoming sort of common knowledge now, right? Look at what's happening with Extinction Rebellion and huge groups of people now forming around the world to say, this is just not good enough. We need to actually stand up and defend what we're doing to the planet and to other species. Can you explain what Extinction Rebellion, what you mean by that? Yeah, Extinction Rebellion is essentially a movement that's been born out of the UK and it's only about a year old mm -hmm. and essentially they have a sort of like a decree that calls for um, basically us to look at the, the current science around climate change and to push politicians to basically declare a climate emergency mm -hmm. and there's a raft of other things that they're calling on. But what I'm finding really interesting about it is it has this um, element of civil disobedience and I'm not mm. saying that civil disobedience is the solution but I just think that we're getting to that point now it's where extreme. we need a whole um, breadth of ways to sort of pull the levers to get the change and it's looking like, I mean, this is, you know, there was huge protests just recently around the world and people being arrested. Mm, mm. I mean, even lately Jane Fonda is protesting at the White House and getting arrested. Like there's all these people standing up mm. now and just saying it's time to pull this lever which says we're going to actually have a bit of civil disobedience in order to get what we, we need to see here. Totally. And I think it's amazing when high-profile artists put themselves in the because artists feel so when you talk about people that want to feel change or, or make a change, it's generally people with good hearts and it's it's nice hearing like your Jane Fonda is just like it. And even Leonardo DiCaprio, he's got really involved and done his own docos on if we don't make a change, we're in a lot of trouble. And I think that's quite empowering. It's good to see people that don't necessarily, like they're using their platform to help. So, okay, so we're... We're on a path where if changes don't happen, we're in strife. Yeah. What can we do now? Like obviously every time we go to the ocean or any waterway for that matter or any place of nature, we can take three pieces of rubbish away with us. So there are little things we can do like boycotting plastic bags and using keep cups and you're drinking out of your wonderful water bottle there that's not plastic, of course. You know, like there – and even myself, like I flew in here, so I'm here for a week. I had my water bottle packed. Like I was like I'm not going to be stuck in a situation where I can't just fill my water bottle up with water. And it's now becoming um, really simple to make those choices. What's the next level of that? What can we do to take that further apart from – yeah, we can keep doing that. Obviously, that is the um, that's the start. That's like the gateway drug. We need to get you know addicted as much as possible to a whole range of other activities that are more sustainable. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'd like to think that everyone tuning in here is is well aware of the you know the consequences of their consumption. I like to just make sure when I am 
out and I'm consuming something, I give a little bit of a thought to, you know, the consequences of my consumption. Mm -hmm. So if it was something that was plastic, for example, I'm going to be like, oh, okay, well, I acknowledge that that's plastic, that's made from oil, it's got a lot of energy and when I'm done with it, it's going to last forever and it can or it can't be recycled. So you sort of, you're putting yourself in the picture. Similarly, if you're going to eat dairy or meat, like just understand that is an animal product that's come from somewhere. Mm. So where did it come from? What are the consequences of that? What happens when I'm done with it? So we can all be a little bit more conscious. But what that's going to do is send a message upwards to those people that are supplying that stuff. So it's that old adage of voting with your wallet. So you're voting for the future that you want to see. But what I really think we need to um, rapidly see is businesses becoming way more sustainable than they currently are because at the moment, especially when you start going to that traditional capitalist model, you know, they're really just there to serve the interests of their shareholders. The Mm -hmm. number one goal of any publicly listed company with people who own shares is to maximise the return for Mm. those investors. Mm. Duh, of course we're going to have a planet and people that are going to be abused if we just stick with that capitalistic model. Mm. So we need to see a rise in conscious businesses, conscious capitalism, B Corps. We need to show Mm. that business can be good for the planet. We're full of out there in the domain of greenwashing and bluewashing, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. It really has to be genuine. So. I'm all about trying in my next sort of phase of life, trying to explore just how business can be good for the planet because mm-hmm. once business can show that it can build and grow and sustain economies, then we can start to pull the final lever, which is government, which is politics. Because at the moment, politics, now they said that they serve the people, but more often than not, they serve the interests of the business community in their um, in their region. So... We can't expect politicians to do the things that we want them to do until we've figured out how business can be better for people and better for the planet. I love this. There's this book and it's I think it's called Kind Kindness is the New Call for like from a business perspective. And it also, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but like that millennial generation, apparently I'm a cusp, but, but I'll claim it. Um, but they care when they spend money. They care about the ethical impact, and the they care um, about like there's there's well you would know more of the brands than I do. But like a lot of companies, like thank you, you know how there's the thank yep. you like hang and looking after people that are less kind of like privileged. I'm speaking this in really bad terms but you know yes. what I mean people that are struggling more than we are and you know I think the who gives a crap toilet paper they're doing pretty awesome things yeah. um, and it's apparently that age group do care about where they're putting their money because they want to know because we want to feel good when we buy something or we consume something and just then when you were talking about food and like thinking about the effect that your choice will have it's so easy to play, and as a nutritionist, it's so easy to play that unconsciously, even for me. But I know when I'm feeling like really clear and on with the way that I live. Like I know where the sustainable butcher is in my near my house. I know when I ask the right questions to a fishmonger, I can find out, you know, what fish has been sustainably sourced and what fish hasn't. Like I, you do need to become a bit of a detective, but once you've done that hard work, it actually becomes quite easy, and it's less of a choice and more of a lifestyle. 
Yeah. You know, it's like. Absolutely. And so those examples of, you know, social enterprises or businesses that are, um, you know, they're prioritising environmental and social positive impacts over profit, that has to be the future because like you've identified the millennials and everyone that's coming behind them, they do care and it's going to be harder and harder not just to uh, increase your customer base if you don't prioritise these issues but even trying to get people to work for you. A huge issue in some Mm. of the big multinationals now is that they can't attract the best talent to come and work for their companies unless they are showing that they've actually got real and genuine values that don't cause this, this deal of harm. So, yeah, that's to be celebrated. I think we do have to be a little bit cautious here about, you know, putting the lens and looking at these planetary problems just through the highly advanced and developed um, countries in the world because totally. there's obviously so many people that live in the sort of underdeveloped world and they probably don't think these luxury thoughts like of we course, think. Of so. course, of course. But, you know, that's why I think for me um, the world is essentially being led by the developed and the advanced economies, we're the ones that have set up the train of globalisation. So if we can adjust it and send it down the right track, then that's then going to create the model that other countries will follow through on. So, um, yeah, it's just whether we can do it in time, I suppose. I love that though. I, I read that Take 3 has been soaked up, but not soaked up, but, you know, there are, it's been implemented in 129 countries. Is that right? Yeah. What countries have been the most receptive that kind of were any of a surprise or were there any countries that you're like, oh? Yeah, look, um, so that was some analysis that we had performed by Facebook recently um, who've been, you know, really you know, great for us. We've, you know, we know social media can be, can be used for, for bad but for us, you know, it really is the success stone for our whole organisation because we can just communicate with people mm. all over the world. So when we found out there was 129 countries, it obviously got us pretty excited um, using the message. But, yeah, uh, Indonesia, Philippines, like countries that, you know, I'd visited Indonesia in the early days in my 20s going surfing and mm. that was almost where I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to be a part of this. I don't want to be a tourist in a country that is treating the ocean so badly mm. and destroying the environment but now you've got this huge upwelling of young people who are using social media to see what problems are emerging, mm. they're connecting with other organisations like ours and now that's the lightning rod for them to then mm. go and create their own initiatives. So I think that social media and digital communications are going to be absolutely key to countering environmental destruction and breeding environmental you know, awareness and activism. That's such a good way to look at social media too because we hear so much negative about social media and I know I get both negative and positive but I love that it can be used to spread and quite fast like you said about the turtle, was it a video with the straw? Yeah, it was a video, yeah. That was viral. Like yeah. there is the power of spreading a message that can awaken so many people. Yeah. I read also that as the impact of Take 3, 10 million pieces removed annually. Yeah. Of rubbish. Like that's pretty incredible. Those stats are crazy, like yeah. in a good way. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I'm so proud of that. That's essentially just saying that even though when you go out and do your take three for the sea, it might literally just be a few pieces in your hand or a couple of handfuls or a bag, but it goes to show that when many people mm. do something small, a big impact happens. And so that's why I think there's a lot more scope for take three to grow and achieve an impact mm. globally but as long as it's always tracking towards the much more significant systemic changes that we need to see because we cannot pick up 
trash to solve this problem mm, of plastic yeah. in the ocean. It needs to be the catalyst for the significant change. Got you. Yeah. Has there been along the journey, because I feel like, I just feel like failure is not a topic for you. I feel like because you, you'll learn so much, I feel, I think it's maybe because of your outlook. You're learning and you're like you've got such a clear perspective of what you're doing, what you want to do, where you're going and the change that you want to create and your purpose is so clear. In yoga we call it dharma <laughs> and it's, it's, it's so clear. So like have there been any moments along the way opposite of failure, like a pinch yourself moment where you're like how did that, how did that just happen or has there been it might have been when you saw stats like that or have you been speaking in a conference somewhere you know in the world and you're just like wow like how is this happening right now have you had any of those I did totally did not brief you on this by the way I'm throwing a <laughs> massive curve pull at you <laughs> yeah look um I'm really trying to think I mean I think that my sort of persona and particularly when I'm in this space and I'm here speaking today as this environmentalist on a very committed journey and that's a strategy. Like if you're going to be an environmentalist and you're going to stand for something, then you you wear that as a nice little jacket and you wear it around and it's this little thing that holds you up against um, what you defend. So I don't know, I think even and even coming here today, like knowing that the theme of the podcast is about um, you know how failure is is normal, and how mm. failure is part of life to just um, accept and 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 incorporate into your stride, and go and take a bit of time out if you need to, and then come back at it with a different lens and different perspective. But you know, when it comes to my environmental life, um, you know, I just I'm committed, and I'm, I'm charging mm. ahead, and and I and I think that the reason I can do that is because. Uh, it's so defensible in my mind, this, this philosophical value I have around the need for humans to slap themselves across the face and wake up to the reality of what we're doing to our planet. Um, it's just so clear to me. And mm. so that's why I've got such a, um, you know, such a committed focus. I love it. It's very inspiring. <laughs> it is. You're very, very inspiring. You're an awesome human being. I could... I, I almost like want to bottle up that kind of because I think as humans and I, had, I spoke to a neuroscience scientist last week and he said like our motivation wanes, that's human nature. You start a project, you start something, you're good for a while and then you kind of, it wanes and so because your purpose is so clear, it's like it doesn't, it's not even an op, motivation waning isn't even really an option for you. It's not something that happens because you're clear on what you're doing. And has it, has it, and you don't have to answer this if you don't want, like you're obviously so passionate about the cause, has it ever had an impact in a negative way on any other aspects of your life? Like have you been away from home for ages or has, and you don't have to answer if you don't want, but has private life suffered at all? Because you're like, I know when I was like trying to really break TV and media and stuff, like I was the shittest person personally because I was so giving my life to this one project. Yeah, no, I think definitely. Um, you know, even last night I was having a conversation with my wife and um, she sort of made, made a comment. I can't even remember the context of what we're talking about. She's like, oh, but, you know, you do sometimes when you're in a situation, you'll, you know, you'll sort of fob someone off or you, you won't give them the time if they don't have something to offer you and your environmental sort of 
journey. And I was like, oh, really? And I guess I sort of then internalised it and thought, okay, yeah, I could see that. Like, you know, and it's not that I'm being intentionally, um, you know, selfish or um, or not very kind. It's just that, like, I do in those situations, I'm, I'm so committed to the end goal that, mm. sure, if you haven't really got that much to offer me or I don't, I don't do small talk. Like, yeah, not, yeah. honestly, if people coming up to me and, like, I don't – I don't do like that traditional blokey kind of like let's just go and sit down and say five words in five minutes and just sort of not mm. hit the deep issues. Like yeah. I just I just want to get straight down to the nitty-gritty and and talk about deep and complex things. So I've probably, you know, missed out on a lot of great opportunities to to forge friendships or relationships as a result of that, but that's just sort of um, my style and way, way I do things. I mean, the flip side of that is that you don't have time for fake dingoes, like that superficial layer of when you, and you know, like in Sydney as well, you can go to an event, or whether it be work or some kind of campaign for something, and within 10 minutes I'll be like, oh, God, it's a room full of sharks. <laughs> and I mean like people sharks that want something from you and and it doesn't feel real and it feels a bit fake and it feels a bit superficial and I'm like, I am out of here. Like, and, and it's not – so I can relate to that because you're clear on your mission and you're like, shit, like I don't really have time for fake stuff. I know what I need to do and I'm clear about it. So I kind of see it as a positive. Random question, are you a Virgo? No, I'm a, a Cancer. Are you a Cancerian? What Cancerian. a sign. Hence why you love the ocean. But also means not to psychoanalyse you at all here, but generally Cancerians like their close-knit and mm. that's plenty. Yeah, that's You don't that's need me. to have 50 million other, other mates. But there is a mutual friend that we have, Guy, Bondi Harvest, and he always has spoken so highly of you, but he's the same. He's real deal. He doesn't muck around with small talk. Like mm. he's just a straight, real, when I say like straight up, what you see from him is just like what you get, real. And I think that that also is translating so nicely in your business and, well, you've got a career in this. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. because you're real. And I think that that's a should be something that's a hallmark, like a value system that. I just love that we're all so, we're all so different, you know, and for me um, this, this approach that I've adopted and me being a very sort of steady sort of ship heading towards um, a destination, it, it really works well for me. But I just love that we're all such a diverse and dynamic and different bunch of people operating in this planet. And, you know, I love that, you know, your podcast like this, it can start to just unpack and explore all those yeah. beautiful differences that we all have. Yeah. I like that. Mm. Maybe it should have been called Beautiful Differences. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so you've shared so much wonderful stuff and only speak about what you're comfy speaking about. What's next? Like what's next on the cards for you? I think it's always important to do a bit of a stock take of of where you're at, what you've achieved and what comes next, particularly if you're like me and you have set out in that ship heading towards, um, you know, a destination. So, you know, 10 years for take three is a, is a pivotal moment. I can't quite believe I've essentially invested all my, my entire 30s in, in building this charity and, of course, happy um, with what it's been able to achieve. But I think there's so much more for me to explore. Um, so the next realm, as I sort of alluded to before, is really interestingly looking at how we can actually answer that question, can business be good for the planet? I really think we need to test that one because 
it's uh, it's a capitalistic driven society. We have this need for perpetual economic growth. And if we do just keep going on this business as usual path, then the environment and the and the people will suffer very, very mm. quickly. So I want to go out into that domain and really start testing that. Can we actually build a new generation of businesses that can show us that you can be good? And then that will hopefully then dictate how, um, how politics can be good. So... I actually think about like I wouldn't be surprised if I spend my entire 40s exploring the role of business mm. and I wouldn't be surprised if by the time I'm 50 if the world has adjusted politics enough I that I might, say, it yeah. might be interested, then yeah. who knows? It could be. Yeah. But politics needs to change because politics yeah. at the moment is an absolute debacle. It's a, it's a shit fight and I wouldn't go near Australia. it with a 10-foot pole. So yeah. it needs to change and maybe it can if, if humans can find a way of um, educating ourselves enough on the you know the, the the perils of our and our flaws, then maybe we can have a new generation of of, of politics that I'd vote for. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thanks, mate. Honestly, one up. <laughs> as you were as you were speaking, I was like, he's got to go into politics. He's got to go because if you can make change from high, you know what I mean. Like, if, imagine having someone like you in power, yeah, or like or having being able to look after. Making big decisions, making quick decisions, making because it does it does feel like like it almost feels like take three. You've started at a uh, a micro level where we all can do one single thing, and like you know you can do this podcast and it can hit I don't know five thousand people, whatever it hits, you know, like it or you can and then you know you can explore. Then the next level up is business, like the bigger guys. There's more money to play with as far as like you know you can be doing that in that way. You can make a big change in one swoop. And then the phase after that, to me, naturally feels like you should be in charge of our country. <laughs> oh, don't know about that, but yeah, I think you get it. You get the idea that you know there's um, there's levels that we need to affect here, and the ultimate is politics. And it's just a real shame, I suppose, that. At the moment, the flip side of that is that, you know, politics aren't really servicing the needs of people on the planet. And so whatever it's going to say, what's the long game that's going to get mm. to that point where we actually can have that? Because once upon a time, I think there was real leadership around environmental issues, but it feels like it's not even on the playing field at the moment. It's not even on the radar for a lot of these politicians, which is really, really bleak. It's but then you but that's when I come back to the artists and like you've got yeah Dave Rasvich doing the Cove you've got Blackfish in America like you've got people doing like there are artists that are putting their name even and this is a little bit off topic but even your Leonardo DiCaprio is doing Blood Diamond like conflict diamonds like that shit's real like that's cra- and I think that that's where the artists have got power because you're hitting a lot of people and the and. Yeah, ha- having social messages that are visual as well is is powerful. I think even, and you will probably agree with me here, I bet you get a lot of feedback, especially when you do talks, when those slides come up where a baby albatross or something is like got all in like, you know, the photos where the bellies are open and it's just like a crazy amount of plastic inside. And that causes, I don't know if it's because people see it, but it causes a feeling where you're like, oh, God, I don't, I don't want to have any impact on that. I don't want, you know, in a negative way, like I do not want that to be my little bit of plastic lid from something that I threw in the water. And I remember you saying when you were, I think, standing on that garbage island in Hawaii, you were like, I picked up something and this could have been mine. Yeah, 
that's exactly like right. so there's something about when you see it and when you feel and that's where I guess big business, big business is powerful too because they have the resources to spread a big message fast if they want to. Yeah, and I think back to your point about you know, arts as well is that you know we're all we're all got so much capacity to have a, an impact on our sphere of influence. Mm. And if you're an artist or a celebrity like Leo DiCaprio, your sphere of influence is immense. But if you're someone listening to this and you've got a handful of friends or you, you know, interact in a small community, that's still a sphere of influence oh, around yeah. you. So never, ever, ever underestimate totally. what you standing for something in that sphere of influence will mean because people watch each other and people talk about each other. And so, um, yeah, whatever levers you've got in your control, you may not be like me and willing to have committed your entire life to, to furthering something like the environment, but you can stand for something um, and make an impact. And like what you said, vote with your dollar. Yeah. Like if you want to have an impact as of the moment that you hear this podcast from this moment forward, just think about when you buy something. Yeah. It's pretty powerful and it doesn't cost you anything to just make that change in your mind. Like it's just a choice. And even better if there's a whole new generation of businesses out there who make that so easy for mm. you. You know that when you buy that who gives a crap or that thank you group mm. or the, you know, the B Corp certified mm. business, you know by buying that that you're voting for the future that you want to see. I love that. Oh, you've ended it so well. I was like I was going to ask for like one little take home but it's you're talking about voting for the future that you want to see. Yeah. Is there one last thing? Is there anything you want to leave with listeners just like whether it be simply like take three for the sea or is it just like start living really consciously? Yeah, and I think that it's very important maybe in this context right now. I know that the more we know about these problems, the harder it can feel to um, to respond and to internalise those. There's a lot of conversation at the moment about eco-anxiety and people are really mm. feeling quite challenged about the predicament for the future but I think you know hope is a strategy and so if you really do care about making a difference then try and surround yourself or communicate with or listen to those people who do maintain that sense of hope and optimism because I do worry that if you if you lose that sense of hope and optimism um, it can be really really hard mm. so I've I'm fortunate I can I can tap into that glass half full because I've made this commitment but um, you know if that's you and you're feeling a bit struggling out there like seek that help from others around you because we need people to be positive and optimistic if we're going to challenge this um, you know this 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 big problem that we have ahead. I love it hope thank you so much. Thanks. Tim you're a champ everybody I'll do tags and instas and everything for take three for you as well so Tim Silverwood Take three for the sea, everyone. Um, you're incredible and it's been an honour to have you here today. Thanks so much. Thank you. That's a wrap on another episode of Fearlessly Failing. As always, thank you to our guests. And let's continue the conversation on Instagram. I'm at Yummo Lollaberry. This potty, my word for podcast, is available on all streaming platforms. I'd love it if you could subscribe, rate and comment and, of course, spread the love. <laughs>